the Cyber Warrior Network Esports Podcast, where we discuss everything cybersecurity and identify talent in technology through esports. CWN is launching the first cyber esports league that validates cyber skills and matches players to fill real world cybersecurity jobs. From 2014 to 2016, Nigel LeBlanc, a United States Air Force veteran, served as the Cyber Veteran Program Manager for the state of Maryland, where he helped veterans launch businesses and careers in cybersecurity. Today, he serves as the founder and CEO of Cyber Warrior Network. In 2020, at DEF CON Red Team Village, a 14-year-old girl placed in the top 25 of her cyber esports tournament. Play well, get hired. CWN, a league of their own. And now, your host, Nigel LeBlanc. All right, I'm very excited to welcome our next guest to the CyberWare Network um, audio podcast. And the next guest is called uh, Dave Toen. And um, so David is a chief executive officer of BTS Software in Columbia, Maryland. And as well, he's the chairman of a spinoff called Verbatim Inc. David is a retired military officer with over 24 years of military experience uh, in intelligence, strategic planning, and a deep background in cybersecurity operations, policy, and planning. Following his military career, he's entered the private sector, joining the CyberPoint International team in Baltimore, Maryland. He started as the CEO, CEO of BTS Software in 2014. Since then, he's doubled the size with a focus on expanding in government services and portfolio solutions. And also, he spun off verbatim which is an advanced speech-to-text solution for complex audio in 2015. David's background includes cybersecurity operations, strategic and operational planning, signals, geospatial, and human intelligence. His current emphasis is on big data analytics, bioinformatics, data compression, technical forensic exploitation, and technical and critical and logical reasoning for cyberspace operators. His publications include authoring and co-authoring two books, several professional articles on op-eds focusing on key geopolitical security topics, strategic intelligence, and cybersecurity. David, thank you so much for joining us on the Cyber Warrior Network podcast today. I'm really excited. And you've been a huge supporter of the Cyber Warrior Network and also somewhat of a mentor to me. Um, you're one of the people that... Um, really cares about veterans and the initiative of veterans in terms of um, employment and cybersecurity. So I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you, Nigel. And I couldn't be happier to be spending some time with you and, and just kind of talking through uh, our shared stories and see if there's any value added for people who want to listen in. Oh, I'm sure there'll be um, lots of value. Um, so one of the first questions that I have for you is... Kind of walk me through your Army career, the roles that you've had um, specifically with cybersecurity. And then at the end of that, um, tell us about your transition. Um, you know, you're, you're coming from the Army and you end up at um, CyberPoint International and then transition to um, running, not running two companies. So um, good, 
you know, that's a that's a great story. I think that uh, military veterans should hear in terms of what they did in in, in their military career, um, especially how it pertains to cybersecurity and how how that may have helped in their transition and efforts. Started with an ROTC scholarship coming out of high school. My family was not in a place where they, I could have afforded to get my bachelor's degree without the scholarship. And I originally got my commission as an air defense officer, which was awesome because I got an opportunity to learn direct leadership in a combat arms branch and start my burgeoning relationship with technology with an air defense system, the Hawk missile system that had full 64K of memory and a computer the size of my <laughs> office wall unit. Wow, um, yeah. So it was, it was spectacular. I actually had to punch in the code in hexadecimal each line and execute and learn how to read the little blinky lights. Um, but it really taught me the value and the necessity to understand the technology in addition to the people that you're leading and working with if you want to be successful for the mission. So I did that for four years and then I branched detailed into military intelligence uh, and spent my first five years uh, doing tactical intelligence up at Fort Drum with 10th Mountain Division. Did uh, several combat deployments to Haiti and Somalia, a couple of rounds there. And probably started the seed of why doing a startup was something palatable when I retired is I stood up Delta Company 110th MI, which was the first general support company, military intelligence company in the division's history. Uh, and we went from zero to 130 soldiers in six months to include equipment, vehicles, weapons, uh, fielding collection systems, and putting all the systems in place all at once. So I like to think of that as my very first, quote, startup, although I was in uniform. From there, I forayed into what we then called information operations, but we would now call cyber operations, doing a little bit of school at DIA, and then started on the Army staff with some what were then very classified capabilities and conversations about offensive and defensive cyber, and learned to operate in an area of ambiguity for both policy and law as we were developing capabilities. And that would be my second startup when I moved up to the 704th MI Brigade at Fort Meade and uh, had a fairly strong hand in standing up the detachment that eventually grew into the 780th MI Brigade, which is, I think, 1,500 soldiers at this point. I would call that my second startup. And that was my launch into strategic intelligence and the cyber operations. Spent some time at Fort Meade doing cyber work. Again, what we would call cyber work now. Had an opportunity to do a little bit of a deployment after school and then commanded an intelligence unit out in Denver where I had, again, an opportunity to work with cyber as well as all of the other ints, specifically um, non-imaging infrared and geospatial intelligence to go on top of my human background and all sorts of background that I had coming out of school. So it was really a, a great mix, broad spectrum there. And in that job, I grew my my battalion by about 75% and added two new mission areas to it. So I consider that another, quote, startup. And the, the same process of identifying mission, identifying requirements, identifying resource requirements, priorities, and then building an organization from scratch, or in this case, growing it dramatically from scratch. Had some more school, and then I closed out my military career at NSA as the AFPAC mission manager, uh, where I had an opportunity to work policy, resource, and then at the tactical and operational level to include really understanding the interplay of cyber, SIGINT, and policy going all the way through. Uh, and the organization there was not so much a startup, but we were responsible for organizing a lot of smaller programs and projects that were startups in and of themselves. 
And so again, it gave me an opportunity to practice those skills of identifying requirements, lining up the right people, the right processes, and going forward and creating an organization out of whole cloth in some cases. Is that good cover? Oh yeah, that's great. So it's, you brought up um, a, a few key points here. Um, it's interesting to see how you identify some of the roles and your missions and even um, you know the objectives of you know some of the roles that you had in the military as startups and um all too often i think that um you know the military teaches us how to be war fighters right and when it comes to you know which is the second part of the question here and and how do we prepare ourselves for transition and have that mindset i think that you did that perfectly you know you and i don't know if it was a retrospective you in terms of saying hey you know what now that i'm in the commercial world and i understand startups that you know, I can see this as a startup, or did you have the mindset of that being a startup at the time, which which you can answer after this. But I think it's a key point to to understand that there are soft skills and, and stuff that we go through operationally in the military that prepares us for transition, be it if you're launching a business or a career within whatever sector that you're looking at. And, and, and I know we, you know, we're talking about cybersecurity, but there's a huge overarching issue with guys transition out guys and gals transition out of the military and how do we best identify those skills and the experiences and translate that into something that we can use in the outside world so nigel i think you're i think you're spot on and i think the key takeaway that we don't realize when we're in uniform but becomes painfully apparent if you spend some time thinking about it once you take the uniform off is 99.9% of the skills and abilities that we developed either as an officer, non-commissioned officer, or junior enlisted, are directly applicable into the business and um, commercial space, both profit and not-for-profit. And that it just takes a little bit of taking the lingo out and making sure you focus on the concepts of leadership and organizational management that we all learn as private first classes, second lieutenants, you know, warrant officer ones, pick a rank, uh, pick a point, the skills easily translate. Part of, to your point, you know, looking back or as I had to look back at the different organizations and roles and functions that I did over my career, my military career, and casting it in the framework of being startups, that really is kind of a retrospective on it. Although at the time when I was the next or the third or the fourth organization I was standing up, I was able to draw heavily on the experiences of the former ones and saw that the parallels were there. I think what really brought it home for me, and this is a drill that I do with friends and former uh, uniform mates, battle buddies who are getting out, is if you take your military-based resume, you know, I was the S3 of this organization, or I was the NCIC of this organization, or I did, you know, as a platoon leader or a squad leader or a team leader. And if you take those tasks and functions and you work hard to demilitarize the language, and instead of saying I was the S3 for battalion, you talk about it in I was doing operations management for an organization of 300 people with a budget of X, with five major projects and these deliverables. It's very easy, if you take just a few minutes, to kind of scrub the military jargon off of any job any uh, resume position and really expose the skills that you've learned and mastered and put them into terms that the civilian community will understand. So when I did my resume and then everyone who I've worked with who's asked me for some help to look at their resume, 
it's been really about taking any military reference out of the job descriptions and talk about it in the context of operations or resource or training or leadership uh, or dollars or deliverables, the things that the business community will understand because the, the parallel is, is 100% and it tracks directly as long as you can put it into English that they would understand. And it, it's really fitting that you mentioned that because part of our car, a core competency at um, Cyber Warrior Network is that we're literally translating um, military MOSs or, or cybersecurity job roles within the military to match what industry is actually looking for, right? right. Um, which is a huge issue. You know, we're talking about um, not only a language barrier, but a cultural barrier as well, right? In, in bridging that gap between military members and employers, you know, how do you do that, especially within a field that is classified and, you know, a lot of the stuff that you do, you can't really talk about it. And then, you know, one of the challenges that a lot of the candidates and, you know, military members that I, you know, have that I speak to is saying, you know what, um, and it's funny because I was, I was talking to a, a young E4 on a plane ride back from Baltimore. And he was saying, you know what, hey, I, I do this within um, Signals. I work at whatever unit out at Lackland. And, you know, there's no job for me on the outside. And I, you know, I had to educate him on, hey, you know what, actually, your, actually, your, your, your um, competency and your skill set is in high demand now. So how do you translate that? I remember when you and I met, you shared your resume with me and you walked me through that entire process that you just described there. So, you know, what we're doing at Cyber Warrior Network is we're translating all of those MOSs and then we're also translating the security levels. Um, and I mean, a lot of employees don't understand the trustworthiness that comes with different security levels within the military. And then we're translating that to the NICE 2.0 framework, which you're very familiar with, right? Right. So that creates an industry standard and employers, the feedback has been really great because now they said, okay, that's what this guy did in the military, along with some of the military history of the actual candidates. But you couldn't be more precise with what you've just said in terms of demilitarizing that resume and being able to translate those skills, particularly when it comes to cybersecurity, to express that to employers. I think that's a, the project is, is spot on as far as being that translator between the language that we use in uniform and what's in the commercial world. But I'll actually push back a little bit on it. I think that there's two parts to what an employer would look for out of a veteran. What are the specific technical skills? And in that, in that sense, there is a requirement, a need to take what we did in uniform and translate it in an unclassified manner so they can understand the, the analogy to what they want to do commercially, particularly if you want to work in what I would assume is some level of defense contract support as an industry partner back into the government. But that's really only part of it. The other part that has nothing to do with classification, has nothing to do with clearance levels, it has entirely to do with just educating and using the right language, is our meta skills as leaders, as change managers, as trainers, as caretakers of resources and being able to deploy them, is understanding what a mission and what an objective is and how to achieve you know, mission success. And those things are skills and culture that we've learned in uniform that the employers will value as much or more so than any specific technical skill. 
Uh, Nigel, we talked about it, I think. At the end of the day, when a veteran puts together a resume and pushes it in front of a potential employer, whether it's back in as a, as a defense contract opportunity, where they'd be working back into the community that they're coming out of, or if it was a broader commercial position, the employer or the hiring manager is really only asking him or herself two questions. Will this person make me money or will this person save me money? Yeah, and I remember that. Resume doesn't explain that in under 30 to 60 seconds. The resume is written wrong and it's not capturing the value proposition of that veteran. Now, you know, will that will this person make me money? Well, if it's a position within a defense contract that requires JavaScript and a top secret SCI and X number of years of experience, and that person can come in and do a good job and will be billable and will help further their customers mission and generate revenue for the employer, then the answer is yes, that job, that person will make me money. Or if it's a leadership position or a program manager where you have to be very efficient with the resources available, get the most that you can out of it, grow the organization, you know, reduce turnover of people, continue to train them to preserve the investment already made, well, that person can save me money. And in the best cases, the potential hiree will do both make and save the employer money. So when you work through this translation of our military experience, both the technical skills and the leadership skills and the soft skills around it, they always, always, always have to be in that context. And I think that any veteran who spends a few minutes thinking about it can think through, these are the basic skills I learned in uniform that will make someone money or will save someone money because we had to do it every day, all day while we were in uniform just the word money was redefined as training time or mission effectiveness or number of kills if you're in a combat environment or, or fill in whatever the blank is on whatever the, the objective measure of success is. That is the equivalent of making money or saving money. So, Debbie, now that you're on the other side of the spectrum here or the other side of the table, you're a, you're interviewing people you know, who are applying for positions within you know, both of your companies. You know, so what are the top three to five skill set, especially if you're looking for somebody within cybersecurity, um, you know, in reference to what you just mentioned here that you look for on the resumes or actually within individuals that you interview? It's a great question. I'm actually going to plagiarize from my first job once I got out of the uniform at CyberPoint where I went through seven interviews with seven different people in the company before I was given an offer. Once I was given an offer and was hired on and I was having my first kind of chill lunch with the CEO founder, I said, what, what's with the seven interviews? And he said, we're a small company. We can't afford to hire assholes. We need the people that we hire to fit into our corporate culture, to be people that everyone wants to work with, that will be a good representative of our, our brand and our name to our customer and to other companies and to the community at large. And as a small company today, you may be running this program and tomorrow I may need you to be doing something completely different. And if you've alienated your coworkers or the customer in the process, because you're not a pleasant person to work with, that you're not a team player, then I don't care how good you are. I can't use you. I need you to be a good person first. And so I stole that philosophy from scratch. You could be the most qualified doing cyber operations, best on that operator there is. But if you're a jerk or if you don't have good people skills or you don't understand and take on the team ethos and the culture we have, 
I'm really, I don't have time or energy to hire you. So the first skill is who are you as a person and what values do you have? And then after that, then we'll start talking about if it's a, for a technical position where I need you to know Java, or I need you to know Elasticsearch, or I need you to know Python with this much experience. Those are screening criteria. I just need you to demonstrate to me that you have whatever the specific technical skill is for the job. And if you have it, great, then we can have the next conversation or the next part of the conversation. If you don't, then I can't hire you because go back to my first two questions. You won't make me money and you won't save me money. And then after that, then I look for people who are independent thinking, who are self-motivated, who have energy and drive and take on our values as a company or align with them. And we'll work to make all of us succeed and to build something of value. So time management, having, you know, here's my goals and objectives that I'm setting for myself or have been set for me. And this is how I'm going to work through any obstacles to get there. I'm looking for someone who's got energy and can instill that energy in people around them and show an enthusiasm towards the job. Does that answer your question? It sure does. I appreciate you explaining that. I mean, I think one of the key takeaways that I'm, I'm hearing from you, and this is you know, right along in lines to what I tell a lot of military members, like, hey, you know what, your resume is a marketing document. And the only goal of the resume is to get you a phone call or an interview. And then after that, you have to um, figure out a way to clearly explain how you're going to provide value. So what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, the two questions that you ask is, you know, what, can you make me money? Are you going to be a good fit culturally? Um, you know, military members really need to take a look at a, how they market themselves, um, figure out what those soft skills or meta skills are, and then identify those and package that. So someone who's skimming through a resume will see that and you can stand out from the rest of the, the uh, other candidates that you're competing with. I think all too often that one of the issues that I'm seeing is that sometimes military members are either have the myth that, you know what, hey, I'm in the military and because of this top secret clearance, I'm in high demand. This is going to be a cakewalk for me. Or, you know, it, they have a sense of entitlement. I've served my country and you owe me a job. I'd like you to comment on those two statements that I just made. And then also, you know, you, you mentioned you went through seven interviews. What was going through your mind at that time when you went through those interviews? Because you're an you're accomplished military member. I mean, you've led organizations of really large sizes and stood up really important organizations, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. So now you're being grilled. You know, walk me through that process and the mindset. I have not run across anyone coming out of service at a uniform service that I have seen the attitude, I've served my country, you owe me. So if there are veterans out there who have that opinion of themselves, uh, a cautionary tale, get over it fast. Because while your veteran service and your sacrifice for your country means a lot, and there are many, many, many leaders in, this, in the commercial space that will certainly go well out of their way to help take care of veterans and help give them opportunity to succeed in the commercial world once they take off their uniform. No one that I know feels an obligation that they actually succeed. It's really about giving you the opportunity to succeed. So you can't come out of uniform and say, I've accomplished all of this. I, you know, I was a sergeant first class in the army and I had all these people working for me. When I come out of uniform and I'm starting to work commercial space, I expect those the same level of position and and employees and people working and kind of slide into that same level of seniority and privilege, get over it because that ain't happening. 
it didn't, certainly didn't happen for myself. And, and I will tell you to kind of slide into your second question. What was those seven interviews about what was going through my head? After some conversations about being very clear about my style and what I did know, and more importantly, what I didn't know, like I'd never worked in the commercial space before, and I'm not a software coder, and I don't know how to do any on-net kind of operations. I'm more of an operational person, not a technical person. It was really them checking to see if I was willing to roll up my sleeves and do the hard work myself, or their concern that I was going to be, to quote a term, an imperial colonel showing up expecting to have the same levels of support and staff and executive function without having to do the dirty work that they assumed I had as a colonel in the army. They were looking for those kinds of culture, those kind of ability to integrate in with their culture and actually do your fair share. I think what we as veterans need to understand is Unless you're coming into a company and you're very specifically going to go right into a billing position, working, doing the exact skills that you have, and you're going to start on a contract doing software development at a certain labor rate, generating revenue on day one, the company expects to lose money on you, at least for the first year, as you understand and learn what it's like to be a civilian. Particularly if you're more senior like myself or a senior non-commissioned officer and you get out and you are rolling into a business development position or a program management position or an operations position within the company, you have a lot to learn. Your basic skills and knowledge and understanding of organizations and people are 100% transferable, but you have to spend a lot of time just learning the company and learning the specifics of what is a profit and loss statement, what is a wrap rate, what is a loaded wrap rate, what's a fully loaded wrap rate. All the basics that we learned over 20 years in the uniform, you have to relearn the civilian equivalence to it. So an a enlightened employer knows that the first six months to a year, you are not going to be as effective as they are expecting. They know you have to learn how to be a civilian and how to learn how to operate in that organization. And they're willing to underwrite that learning process, knowing that at the end of that time, you're going to be dynamite. What you have to do when you show up in the interview process and when you start working is to be openly transparent about, hey, this is what I don't know and this is what I have to learn. This is how I plan to learn it. And I am open to people explaining to me how to do things. My first two years out of uniform, I felt like a second lieutenant every day. And it was painful and it was hard as I tried to understand how to read a contract or how to read a profit loss statement or how to read a non-disclosure agreement and understand what that meant. Every day was new information, and I was a second lieutenant, but I had good people around me, and I wasn't afraid to say, I don't understand, please explain it. And the culture of my first company was about helping everyone be successful. What I offer to our veterans getting out is look for the culture that fits who you are and what you're doing and is willing to invest in you as much as you're willing to invest in them. Does that answer? Yeah, that's great advice. Um, you know, one of my biggest philosophies is I don't know what I don't know. I'm always in learning mode, and I think that has helped me in my civilian career and the opportunities that I've had. So my next question is, there's clearly a shortage of cybersecurity talent, both on the government side and even more so on the civilian side. What are the biggest challenges that you think that transitioning members have, even in the midst of this shortage that we face here? So I think first is being afraid. You shouldn't be, because even if your technical skills aren't there, who you are and what you've learned uh, in uniform are immensely employable. 
So it's not a question of will you get a job, it's a question of which job will you take once you find the field that you want to go into. I think that's a very key point is figure out where you want to go and what you want to be when you get out of uniform. There's probably two major schools of thought. The first is you could go back in either as a government service, government civilian employee, or as a contractor, part of the industry team to back to, back into the government where your skills and knowledge and everything you did as a cyber operator and a cybersecurity person in government and understanding the culture of working within the military or the intel community, all that is readily transferable. And you're just essentially taking off a uniform, changing the way you get paid, and then you're back to doing mostly what you were doing in uniform. That's one choice. The other choice is you wanna completely move into a civilian space and not have anything to do with military or, or government work, particularly in the cyberspace in which case you have to understand what it's like to operate in a purely commercial cyber environment. And there's a big cultural difference there. One could argue strongly that the potential for financial rewards in the pure commercial side are much higher than being a defense contractor. As a defense contractor, you are at the whims of whether a contract is awarded or renewed. And while there is a shortage of people with clearances and um, and the technical skill set. There's also a lot of downward pressure on rates that the government, the federal government is putting on the contract community. So the dollar amounts that they are able to pay, the dollar amounts that I'm able to pay to some very qualified, cleared people is 30 to 40% lower than what they were just five years ago. And it was stunning and breathtaking to see how little the government is willing to pay for some exquisite talent, particularly talent with clearances and polygraphs. When a veteran is thinking about what do they want to do when they grow up, when they take off the uniform, it's a real decision point. Do I want to go back into the defense space or intel space, or do I want to go pure commercial? And you have to understand that and, and commit yourself to one or the other going forward because each of those has a different, different set of skills that you need and a different set of cultural acclimation that you'll need to go through and, and frankly, a different level of, of pain as you grow into that environment. I think moving into the government space is the easiest for obvious reasons. Moving into the commercial space, the things that you should think about are how do you communicate and what kinds of perceptions or stereotypes are the people around you have about who you are and what you've done. So taking the time to demilitarize your jargon is important and the way you carry yourself. Uh, one of my favorite stories to tell when I moved into the commercial space is one of my keep my hands busy during boring meetings habits in uniform was to take out a pocket knife and sharpen it on a whetstone during the meeting, which is an absolutely acceptable practice when you're in Baghdad or Kabul. As I learned, it is not a <laughs> practice when you're in a boardroom yeah. play with customers. Uh, they find it very distracting to have a six inch laid out and a whetstone as you just sharpen it and ask them their opinion on different options. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they, tend, they tend to agree with you a lot more than maybe they would otherwise. <laughs> I bet they do. That's a great story, and I appreciate the feedback on that question. One of the things that you mentioned was you didn't start your career in cybersecurity. What advice would you give, be it a veteran who has military service but and is interested in going to cybersecurity, or even an active duty member right now, who wants to cross train into the career in terms of mindset or just any advice that comes to your head about transitioning into the cybersecurity career field? Sure. So 
So, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time talking about the specific technical skills that you need and the certifications and languages. And the reason I'm not spending a lot of time is because that's a given. If you want to be a cybersecurity operator, you need to know the languages. You need to know the technology. To me, before any other conversation starts, are you, are you current on the, the state of the art with the right tools, with the right languages, with the right appliances that are in place? What are the best practices going on? What are the NIST 20 controls? Are you fluent in the technology and implementation of that technology? If not fluent, fluent for your experience level. If you've been doing it for 20 years, I expect you to know a lot. If you're just breaking into the cyberspace, I'll treat you as a junior guy coming in with a lot to learn, but I expect you to know someone who I would expect with a year or two or three or four years of experience would know from language and policy. So lesson one, know your technology and know the policies around it. There's a lot of resources to learn that. There's a lot of online schools that are free. There's a lot, a lot of programs that are available. I'm pretty sure that there are training programs that are available through the ACAP and transition from the military. And certainly the Cyber Warrior Network would be a great place to connect people to, to certification programs to get smart on it. Put a plug in for University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC's training center. They have a great program to bring veterans up to speed on the technical components to cybersecurity and IT to either learn from scratch or refresh yourself. So I take it as a base, as a basic that you know the technology and the policies at your experience level and have gone out of your way to continue to learn what's latest and hottest. How do you do that? Certainly you go through formal schools, but I would expect you to be in chat rooms and reading blogs and on the right websites just to keep up with the latest and greatest because the technology and the threat changes, if not hourly, then daily. What really differentiates you from your peers is not so much your technical skill, it's an ability to communicate with your customer. And by customer, it could be if you're in Bank of America with your non-tech boss or the organization that you're working with. If you're in DOD, be able to talk operationally with whoever is using your services to be able to engage with your customer, your boss, your partners in a, in a way that allows them to understand what you're doing to demonstrate that you understand their problem and that you're creatively thinking about how to solve their problem in a way that is useful for them. So for, for me personally, I've been successful kind of being in the middle ground between really smart technical people and really smart operators who have almost no technical understanding. I've kind of been able to operate in the middle, understanding just enough of the technology to explain it to the operators so they know what what they're asking for is possible or not, and then vice versa, being able to communicate the effects and the outcomes that the, the customer wants back to the technical people who actually have to cut code or, or wire things or put technology and deploy it to their mission. The real differentiator is if you are a, to use the parlance, customer-facing tech person, that you can communicate and engage with non-tech people in a way that instills confidence that you know what you're doing and you know what they need you to do. Does that help? Yeah, that, that does. In my last blog post, you know, I talked about having a career path. And I think one of the things that we struggle with as military members is that we don't know the art of the possible and there's no defined career path that we can, you know, directly use whatever field that we're in. And it doesn't matter if we cross train or not. But apply that to some type of educational or even occupational path, right? 
one of the things that we're focused on doing is somebody leaves, you know, AIT or whatever technical school that they that they do, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. And, you know, we want to highlight a career path based on possible job roles and then the and then the technical um, requirements for a specific job role. So you mentioned, you know, University of Baltimore, right? And so if I was stationed at Fort Meade, here are the resources that are available to me. And, you know, if I graduate or if I get these certifications, along with um, some of the uh, technical experience that I gain on the on-the-job training, which is clearly mapped out in the military, by the way, you know, these are the possible jobs that I can have in the next three years, four years, whatever my enlistment is. So one of the things that we're focused on and it's very fitting and, and, and falls in line to what you're saying. So we're going to move on to what's called the lightning round. Just a, a couple of questions that doesn't necessarily have to do with um, cybersecurity, but just your thoughts in general. First question is uh, your top two or three books on the sector or hiring practices within cybersecurity or veterans, or just talk about the latest book that really had you thinking about some of our issues that we've discussed here. Sure. So the number one book, and, and Nigel, I think I've actually recommended this book to you, to read for anyone who is in the, thinking about uh, transitioning out of the military is a book called Transitions by Dr. William Bridges. And if you go on Amazon and you type in Transitions, first book that comes up, uh, reprint, anniversary reprint edition of it. It is critical in helping you frame a lot of the choices that we have to make as we're deciding our career steps and what we're doing next with our career. Frequently because our career choices also align with life choices. You know, where are we with our relationships with our spouses and our kids and what ages are they at? If I'm getting out early, have, do I have a family yet? If I'm getting out after 20 years and I have a family with a certain demographic, and I'm in a certain place in my life stage and I'm a certain place with my professional development as well. So I cannot overstate how important and how valuable Transitions has been to me. It was recommended to me by Chief of Staff of the Army, General Casey. I've recommended it out or bought it for easily 50 people who have been in similar places. And it is absolutely a book I will think about the lessons in it at least once a week, if not more so. So Transitions. The other book that I'm in the middle of reading now that I think is a really interesting thought piece is a piece of fiction called Ghost Fleet by P.W. Singer and August Cole. And it's a novel about the next world war. And it really talks about how cyber operates within in what future warfare looks like and what the gray areas are in war and warfare. Everything from what we would traditionally call force on force, you know, nation state to nation state to the gray area that we see now. It's a cyber crime. Uh, and organized crime to arguably what we're, what we're seeing with things like fake news and information warfare going on in the press every day. So it's a great think piece. It's fun. It's, um, it's interesting. But if you read it with the background of someone who is a cyber warrior in uniform, you'll see a lot behind it that is uh, very thought-provoking. So again, Ghost Fleet by P.W. Singer and August Cole. So I just added both of those to my Amazon book list. And so I appreciate you saying that. And you did tell me about the book and uh, sad to admit that I have not read it yet. But our next conversation, I will uh, report back to you some of the lessons that I've learned. And E.W. Singer is one of my favorite authors. And I'm looking forward to this book because I didn't know that um, he came out with it. One of the things that I really like about his writing is that it's very simplistic. I think anybody can you know, pick up his books and understand cybersecurity issues um, really easily based on how he writes it. Very, 
you know, it's, it's not a, not very um, overwhelmingly technical, so to speak, right? Exactly, right. Not, very, not so technical that you need a degree. Remember, I have a political science, liberal arts background, so I, anyone who wants a technical <laughs> Once again, I really appreciate your time. Right now, any closing thoughts or any things you want to leave with our, our listeners? Uh, the floor is yours. Go ahead. I appreciate it. First off, Nigel, thank you for what you're doing with this project. I think it's really critical and you're at the nexus of a lot of major issues going on uh, within our society and within our economy. You have a lot of veterans coming out of a lot of hard service. You've been in a war for 15 years and you have this convergence of technology, which is both opportunity and risk. And I think you put yourself right in the epicenter of it to try and help help veterans guide themselves into the next phase. So kudos to you. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. If I had any parting words, it's don't be afraid as you're getting out of uniform and don't rush to the first thing that's, that falls in front of you. You have time, even if you have to take the first job just to make sure that you're getting a paycheck to cover life's expenses. You have time to really think about who and what you want to be now that you've taken off the uniform. We all went into the service for for whatever reason that drove us there, me for a college education, and I found I loved what I was doing in the service. Others have different reasons. They're all valid and good reasons. But the one thing we all knew when we put on the uniform is that we're going to be taking off the uniform and we'll have 30 or 40 years of life left afterwards. And so spend some time and think about who you want to be for the remainder of your life now that you have a uniform off, and be deliberate and slow about it. Make sure you feed your family and yourself, but don't rush into something and be unhappy with the time you have on this earth. Uh, again, a reason why transitions, I think, is a really strong tool to help you think through some of those thoughts. And no matter what, what we've learned in uniform about technical skills, but more importantly about being about how to be a good leader and a good follower and good people, those skills will carry you through to the day you die. And good luck to you. And if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. So, David, how can our listeners reach you if they had any specific questions for you? Certainly. I wanted to find out more about BTS or Verbatim. And actually, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Verbatim. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about Verbatim? Because I was really intrigued by that project. And I'm really happy to see that it's off the ground and running right now. This is all based on the time that you have, but I think your backstory and your mission behind why you launched it, that was really touching to me. So you can share as much as you want on there as well. So Verbatim is a, a company built around a technology that we did, a tech transfer from Towson University in 2015. The challenge that Towson University's College of Liberal Arts was trying to do is how to take complex audio, which is multiple speakers, background noise, accents, good, proper grammar, all of the things that make speech to text like Siri suck, how do you do that really well with real time, highly accurate, 99% or better accurate live captions and transcripts for deaf and hard of hearing? And that technology was the, the first generation of it was built in the basement of the College of Liberal Arts. We were working with them on a side project and saw it and saw the value from a social perspective and the technology on taking audio and turn it to text so that it is accessible and searchable. And we did a tech transfer in 2014 in December, brought it into BTS Software Solutions as a business unit in January of 2015, and then spun it out as a separate company in July of 2015. And it's now, what, 18 months later, uh, and is on track to be profitable with 36 employees, patents, um, 
patents, revenue growth, marquee, customers like National Public Radio, where every transcript you see on their webpage every day is us, seven days a week, 365, 14 million hits during the debates because we were doing the live transcripts and fact-checking for that. It's an amazing technology and opportunity to really help the community, both the deaf and hard of hearing, and to make audio and video searchable through the text that comes with it. The idea of doing a startup company was terrifying. We as military people, you know, the military at the end of the day is a very conservative decision-making organization, and we don't do something unless we have so many resources available that we, we know we're going to succeed, and we have an incredible safety net around us of other leaders, other organizations, and ultimately, even if we personally fail, someone will take our position and the organization will continue on without us. So to go from that mindset into the idea of creating a startup, doing a fundraise for it, we raised $750,000 in, in under a year for the startup. And to know that you succeed or fail based solely on your ability to perform as a leader and the team you can put together was scary as heck. And it took a leap of faith one would argue irrational faith in our ability to be successful. So of everything that I've done since I took off the uniform, that was the most personally and professionally challenging. It's also where I saw the most personal professional growth, trying to adapt to those skills and to be successful. The company is in great shape now. We're on a great glide path for profitability and we continue to hire uh, aggressively. Like I said, we're at 36 employees and we'll, we'll have probably another five or 10 in the next two months or so. If you want to get in touch with me personally, you can reach me at david.tone at bts-s2, the number two, .com. Just put in the header that, uh, or the subject line that it's uh, coming off of Nigel's blog, and I will know exactly what it's about, and I will uh, promise to answer uh, and provide as much support as I can at any point. Awesome. So, David, thank you again for joining us today. I am so happy to hear about you know, the success that you have done with Verbatim because it was at its infancy when you and I met. So it's it's such a win for you and it, inspiration to me as an entrepreneur as well. So with that, um, I will let you get back to your busy day. I really appreciate you taking the time to um, talk with us again today. And as always, if you need anything from my end, don't hesitate to reach out. No problem. Thank you very much, Nigel. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the CWN Esports Podcast. Check us out on CyberWarriorNetwork.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.